there's always a FinReg Angle, the podcast providing you with the latest news and commentary on financial regulation. Brought to you by Global Custodian. Hello and welcome to the sixth episode of season two of There's Always a FinReg Angle. I'm John Watkins, editor of Global Custodian, and I'm joined virtually, as always, by a cast of FinReg experts, Sean Tuffy, Virginia O'Shea, and Joe Parsons. Welcome back, everyone. Hi there, guys. Hi, everyone. Hello. Good to be here. Hey, guys. So this is a momentous episode today. And no, it's not the BTF. Bitcoin ETF, BTF, that's what you should call it. The Bitcoin ETF has not been approved by the SEC. It is, in fact, Joe Parsons' last episode. Joe, you're leaving us. I know, I am. It's a, another FinRed podcast just suffered too much. I pass down. <laughs> I would love if that was a full-time gig. That'd be amazing. <laughs> you, uh... Uh, it, is a, it is with a heavy heart, but uh, hey, it's been, it's been one hell of a ride. <laughs> the, the Finreg uh, podcasting specifically, not GC. You know, uh, hey, hey, I, I see us. I see us sort of separating like that last scene in Fast and Furious. <laughs> <laughs> well, where, where one car goes off one way, one goes off the other. Yeah, for, for exactly. anyone that hasn't got a deep knowledge of the Fast and Furious films, particularly number six. <laughs> I'm um, pretty sure we've talked about it quite a, quite a lot on this on this podcast. <laughs> too much for people that just tune in for Finreg news, absolutely. But um, uh, Joe, I, what have been your favourite Finreg podcast moments since the show began? Uh, Finreg podcast. Oh wow, there's so many. Um, Finreg goings on in in your five six years. I mean, we haven't we haven't talked about this, but uh, on the podcast yet. But I mean, Gary Gensler's well, welcome to Twitter. What a moment that was. <laughs> so your favourite podcast moment is something we haven't talked about yet. Okay, well, oh, we, we haven't well, had a we we well chance yet. Well, I was going to you know allow five minutes for your you know leaving party, but hey, let's get into uh, what's going on there, Joe. So <laughs> Gary Gensler's on Twitter. Talk to us about that. It is, and he's uh, he's given policy policy ideas. He's he's addressing reporting rules and ESG and crypto. I mean, I think pretty much the whole crypto community is hanging on his every sort of word uh, i imagine but uh oh yeah i mean and, and then and then we've got the the gary genza spin-off spin-off accounts which is also just as just as amazing wow. yeah i mean yeah that, that, that's been that's been a real highlight that we haven't yet looked at but yeah definitely one of those <laughs> i mean i mean the fact that that, that, that every every uh, episode I'm, I'm always trying to plug the the crypto etf angle and you guys just don't want to buy it i mean come on but it might actually be a thing this time like it's dangerously close to becoming a reality Oh. In an alternate sort of uh, metaverse, Sean? <laughs> no, I think the I think the SEC has given us the path to to a Bitcoin ETF. Everyone's very excited about it. So the so Gensler came out in a speech about a month ago, essentially saying he'd support a futures based Bitcoin ETF. So there's been like a dozen um, applications for that style so i think everyone seems to think that's gonna be the way forward because they maybe the sec also approved a uh a bitcoin fund that based is entirely futures based so i, I think that seems to be it's not physical direct bitcoin holding but i think it, it's the way forward at least for the u.s market but joe you're not gonna be here when that happens it's very disappointing i know i know i've gone too early <laughs> Another. Sad I know. times. I know, and also, also, who can who can forget the, uh, the 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 infamous section we did on name your hedge funds? 
based on, based on your last name and, and the, th- the last thing you ate. <laughs> just waiting for ate. Curly Wordy Capital to, uh, to, to launch. Hummus was in there somewhere as well, wasn't it? I hummus think. management. Yes. <laughs> The funny thing Excellent. is, these funds would still gather uh, the support of many prime brokers, as we've, as we've seen in uh, in recent months. So, <laughs> I actually did speak to to uh, someone in the industry who was listening who listened to our podcast, and um, one of the names that we put that we that we put together, he actually suggested that to one of his friends about five years ago, and had and had launched it with that name. Uh, That's incredible. So yeah. That's terrifying. Incredible, terrifying. Incredible hindsight. <laughs> but it wasn't Curly Whirly Capital, no? It wasn't Curly Whirly Capital. Okay, good, good. <laughs> that's, that's one good thing. Brilliant. Well, look, um, yeah, sure. That's, that's interesting. You think the uh, the Bitcoin ETF has taken some positive steps in the last couple of months. I was I was thinking that, and this is just from some of the tweets I'd seen, that, that, it, that it wasn't moving, moving forward. But Yeah, no, I think, it, I, I think we're actually... We might be turning the corner on it, whether or not. Mm. I mean, Bitcoin enthusiasts will tell you that's not the same thing because it's futures based and not direct holding. But it's honestly easier for everyone in the ecosystem if it's futures based rather than direct ETF hold, uh, Bitcoin holding. So yeah. I think I think that seems like a good compromise to get. Sort of, it accomplishes a couple things. It gives sort of institutionalizes the futures market a little more if you get bigger if you get funds investing in it and. It gives, if you think retail investors need access to Bitcoin, it gives them a sort of a regulated product way through. Because the other thing is, and this is burying the weeds, so I won't get in the detail that Gensler's also indicated that they need to be uh, 40 act funds and not 30 act funds. Yeah. So that's, that's, I mean, like the six people who listen to this will know the distinction, but essentially it's a higher duty of care in the 40 act fund. Um, so I think those two things combined will give comfort. So I think that's probably the way forward. And actually, and I've been a bear on Bitcoin ETFs for as long as we've been doing the podcast and before that, but I think we might actually see approval this year now. Well, I'm actually just on Gary Gensler's Twitter profile right now. And, uh, <laughs> I, I don't look Cyber at this, stalking him. Yeah, I mean, look, I don't look at it apparently as, as often as you all do, but um, he's even p- putting out- like, I a sense happy... a bit of judgment in that, John. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, sorry, uh, a little bit, but uh, he's even making- have a nice Labor Day video messages. Someone else is running this Twitter account, aren't they? There's, there's no way it's him. Well, he's using emoticons as well, which is quite bizarre. Yeah. Doesn't yeah. seem like a Gensler thing to do, does it? It's definitely been yeah, looking at Sean's Twitter page then. <laughs> does he follow, does he follow <laughs> you guys? He only follows 23 <laughs> people. If one of these no, is Sean, that'd be amazing. No, sadly. Sad times. Sadly. I did have Giancarlo followed me, or still follows me. That's my, my closest uh, brush to fame with regular, regulatory follows. I think he follows everyone, Sean. Sorry. Yeah, I know. It's not my great. It's about my hand. <laughs> he does follow the CFTC, though, Gary Gensler. Is that is that a little bit awkward? Yeah, well, you know. Well, he has to. Keep your friends close and your enemies closer, right? <laughs> I was thinking, you know, you, you kind of always unfollow your exes on social media. But uh, hey. <laughs> anyway, moving on from Gary Gensler, who does dominate a lot of these podcasts. As uh, one of you mentioned, that it has been a while since we did our uh, last 
FinReg podcast, I think maybe June was the last one. So we've got a lot to catch up on. Um, so why don't we go around the virtual table and you can all give me one regulatory update, which is which has happened since since June. Wow, that's quite a lot of a lot of time has passed. So uh, anyone want to go first? Okay. Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll kick off. So so you know, as of the date of today, the recording, uh, we've had the next phase of the uncleared margin rules um, affecting, I think it's supposed to be about 300 buy-side firms, um, all with sort of derivatives of, of I think, over $50 um, billion of uh, in notional value. So it's about $15 trillion, um, of the market for, for non-cleared uh, derivatives and you know, we've had warnings from from market structure firms and custodians that that, that these buy side firms aren't going to be ready come from September a lot of them haven't put together the the, the, the agreements to start exchanging uh, collateral with a custodian either on a third party or a tri-party basis and yeah, we've got to see what happens now you know, after, after this, uh, this this next phase has come into effect so yeah, we'll maybe see in the next couple of days of, 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 of how those collateral management processes are going. And then is it going to affect any, any trades? I mean, it's just going to be a lot, a lot of uh, changes on the pre-trade side. Um, having to put in analytics and, and monitoring counterparty risks and counterparty um, collateral pools and, and that kind of thing. So it's going to be a... a, a it's a big moment, and then we'll see how this goes in the next probably couple of weeks. Yeah, and Joe, didn't you get? You said to me recently, you don't feel like this has actually had enough as much coverage as, as you would have expected. I, I mean, yeah, probably because uh, because it's been it, it was it was delayed a, a year, like most regulations last year, um, and and that was kind of seen as a as a relief uh, for, for many buy side firms. But I don't think I think the fact that it got delayed just is kind of sort of delaying the inevitable that a lot of them aren't going to be ready. Um, so yeah, I mean, we'll see how many of those firms have actually started uh, exchanging collateral with a custodian, um, and if there's a, 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 what 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 is out there, how how it's going to affect other parts of the market, how's it going to affect the repo market or, or the securities lending market, and, and how they're going to access. Um, and exchange this the, 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 the assets and collateral. Great, thanks, Joe. Uh, right, let's keep going then. Virginie, what updates have you got for us? Um, well, I, I wrote a recent blog on this topic, in fact, um, looking at digital asset regulation or the spat that seems to be going on between the SEC and the CFTC about territorial jurisdiction was, was entertaining me for quite some time over the last month. So looking at, um, obviously, Gary Gensler, as we, we, we started the show by talking about his Twitter profile, but not only is he sort of doing his little educational TikToks on Twitter, he's also been speaking at nearly every conference out there and uh, every press outlet about uh, digital asset regulation in crypto, um, which seemingly has annoyed some of the CFTC commissioners, uh, including some of the outgoing, well, well, the one outgoing one, Brian Quintens, um, who sort of came back to um, came back to him over Twitter. Uh, I don't know if he follows them, actually, I should have checked that. But um, they were sort of arguing with each other about uh, whose jurisdictional area um, commentary on, on crypto 
should be almost. Um, wow. And is it Dawn Stump, I think, put out this this sort of 10 points about what crypto um, assets the CFTC regulates versus where, you know, the, the SEC should be sticking its oar in. So it seemed a little bit on the passive aggressive side, if you ask me, but that was kind of interesting because there is a lot of grey between, you know, exactly how we define some of these assets and whose turf they actually technically sit under. And uh, one of the points that she made in her little infographic was, um, you know, they, although the CFTC might not regulate um, so all of the crypto assets, they can and will comment uh, when it comes to sort of derivatives, market security and um, anything to do with fraud, even if it's not an asset class they directly regulate. So it seems to give them a pretty broad remit. Um, so I don't know whether that means that there's going to be more jurisdictional arguments between the two. I expect it will. They don't seem to be getting on as well as they did um, last year, <laughs> from my perspective. don't know if anyone else agrees with that one. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, obviously, having two market regulators is less than ideal anyway. So there's going to be <clears throat> overlap and conflicts. I think part of the issue is the CFTC still doesn't have a permanent chair. So I think that's part of the issue, why there's some conflict. And then though Bitcoin and other crypto are technically commodities, as you said, Virginia, the SEC has a wider remit when it comes to how it touches investors. So I think there's just going to be some more conflict. But I think the underlying message really is that Gensler and to a large degree, the U.S. governing apparatus is really looking at crypto a lot more closely. And it's sort of finally got onto onto the regulatory radar in a very real real way. So it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that. Well, there has been a bit of pushback on, on Gensler. I, I noticed there's some articles have come out and, and com industry commentary, as I'll put it in quotation marks, not that you can see <laughs> me, but uh, about how he's a toothless dog almost. Uh, mm. not, I'm, not, I'm not directly quoting people here, but that's that's kind of the, the impression I'm, I'm getting from some of these comments and in the fact that, you know, until he actually goes after and prosecutes some of this stuff, uh, nobody's going to pay too much attention to it. So, I mean, I think they've got a pretty good track record of going after people, uh, and mm. they have certainly been going after a lot of crypto firms over the recent months. So, I, I'm not sure that that's a true statement to make. But I guess, I guess some some in the market feel like he, he or the the SEC needs to prove its metal a little longer track record in this in this area, for example. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, no. It's worth remembering that the Clayton SEC pretty much cleaned up the ICO market in about a year with pretty aggressive mm -hmm. action. So it's not it's not beyond the wit of the SEC. So I mean, it should be an interesting fall to see how he mm -hmm. approaches the market. True, and and over here the FCA has obviously been commenting commenting a fair amount on on crypto assets as well. Yeah. There was an interesting speech made this morning by the chair of the FCA on that topic, right? So he's he's also sort of saying it's an area that there should be more direct regulation of, even though the FCA doesn't have direct jurisdictional responsibility for it. So. Right. Um, whether that's that's something that, 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 that there was a weird sort of um, I mean there's a very weird speech because he starts talking about animal um, poo. <laughs> Sorry, but you should really read it <laughs> if you haven't. Um, but he compares he compares the crypto market to um, a stable from Herc Hercules' Hercules stable that he had to clean up after twenty years of animals going to the toilet in it. Um, so it was an interesting interesting comparison there. But certainly, I think that's that's sort of uh, there was a there was an interesting statement made that 
maybe they shouldn't step into direct directly regulating the sector because they give it slightly more um, credence with investors, um, which is an interesting take. But um, I think they will have to to step in there, right? Yeah, I think I can. I appreciate the idea that if you, the concept that if a regulator starts looking at it, it makes it seem more regulated than it might actually be. But I agree with you that I don't think regulators can ignore it anymore. So I think we'll definitely start seeing some action on it. Yeah. Regulators aren't ignoring it. Custodians aren't ignoring it either. Uh, <laughs> whether it's an official launch or just wanting to be part of the conversation, it's it's incredible how much me and Joe are getting kind of messaged about people taking part in the conversation. We've got this amazing mix of of like people from the crypto world talking with people from the custody world. And it, it, I don't know if anyone heard the uh, webinar we did the other week where we had um, we had Deutsche Bank, we had Coinbase, we had um, Luca and PwC. Uh, and you had the chap from PwC, Henri Arslanian. Have you guys ever heard him speak before? Nope. I have, nope. Right, so none of you are on my webcast. Okay, that's something we need to sort out. Um, but it's it's amazing because you you've got like yeah this 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 we're talking about like an unregulated asset which is very uncertain. But you've got people from these you know traditional institutions that that want to talk about it, but also aren't necessarily even decided on their own involvement. The no moves, you know, whether it's um you know the likes of Deutsche Banks or even City. I know you guys are doing loads on it, Sean. But yeah, it's just it's just amazing to see. The, the world's kind of collide, but certainly custodians have never been afraid to actually step into the conversation, which makes uh, which makes it good for us because we get we get both sides of uh, of the space involved in the conversation. But anyway, let's uh, let's kick on, Sean. As we go around the, the virtual table, what regulatory updates have you got that we might have missed in the last couple of months? So I think the obviously the summer is a quieter time, thankfully. So I think the big so we last spoke, there have been a couple ESG things that's probably worth noting so the eu delayed the sfdr um level two implementation by six months um which was generally welcomed by the industry because the level two wasn't ready yet and we we're running out of time but it sort of there's going to be a big pinch point next summer um at least in eu regulation with a bunch of regulations um like prips uh, sfdr and some MIFID changes that all come in lied about the same time. And this is sort of, I think we talked about this, might have been season one, you know, one of the consequences of the COVID delays is these regulations still need to happen and they just sort of get pushed into other um, existing work. So I think next year, sort of teeing up a really busy year next year in Europe, for European asset managers, at least on the regulatory front. Um, and then the other ESG thing is sort of, again, not to name dropping him a lot, but the SEC and Gensler have sort of taken moves on looking at uh, ESG disclosures more seriously. Uh, and the other thing from the SEC is sort of the continuing sort of Robin Hood effect at looking at the gamification of retail brokerage. So there's a few different threads being pulled out over there as well. But I think the big one was really the ESG delay, which no one was ready for, but I'm not sure people will be any more ready for six months later. Yeah, it's doubtful, isn't it? It's interesting yeah. that this morning was the biggest news was around the, you know, all the asset managers that, um, that didn't make the grade for the Financial Reporting Council, right? Um, or was it announced yesterday? I can't remember which day it was. I think, you know, I think it went, went out today. But uh, there was how many, I think it was like a 
63 asset managers or 64 asset managers that didn't make the grade in terms of who could be endorsed as an ESG asset manager, which is in, right. wow. in, around the stewardship code, which is interesting. <laughs> I was just going to say, I think the ESG space, as regulators struggle to define it more, but I think it's going to become this fear of greenwashing and how people can call themselves mm-hmm. ESG is going to continue to become a bigger and bigger issue. And it becomes a bigger challenge when you're in the U.S., for example, where there are literally no regulatory definitions. So it becomes really hard to understand what the guidance is. So I think that there's a lot of people looking at the for the SEC to issue some sort of guidance notes to, to help them um, know what they can, can and can't say around ESG. Yeah, actually, we've got a feature coming up next next uh, issue for our full magazine about whether is SFDR the new GDPR in terms of uh, yeah. how the U.S. will kind of follow on from uh from the SFDR rules, but uh, Virginia, I was going to ask: with uh, with those asset ma- managers not coming across as green, is that the asset managers themselves, or is it the actual funds? And like, how do they how do they assess the the asset manager? So it was the it was entity level, I think, in terms yeah. of it's the Financial Reporting Council, um, which is the UK sort of governance council for uh, it's a stewardship sort of thing for for asset managers here or active in this market. And quite a you know quite a large proportion of the the asset managers that applied here uh, or failed to make the sort of the tough the the new um, code that they've they've updated last I think they updated it last year to to incorporate ESG um, and it's I mean it's not a it's not a regulator but it's sort of an industry yeah. body that's that's sort of trying to to foster uh, ESG um, principles and things at the asset manager level so. Um, I guess they're not. They didn't provide enough transparency, or that, you know, there were certain things um, that they they were assessing the different firms on, um, and they didn't. That, yeah, that, that, I think that of the nearly two hundred that applied, around sixty something, yeah, didn't didn't make the grade, uh, and they reported it out this morning. So it's it's interesting to see that because although it's not a regulator saying it, I think it does have impact because because it does, everyone wants to avoid the negative publicity of, of coming across as, as not green at this particular moment in time, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll go, I'll kick off with one next. Um, I'm never really sure if settlement and T plus one lands in FinReg or not, but I'm going <laughs> to talk about it anyway. Uh, Virginia, you did a, a swift webinar a few months ago didn't you on a on, on t plus one settlement and i'm doing one at cyboss about t plus zero so uh yeah make sure you check out virginia's and tune into mine in october but a uh, recent announcement in august was that the three associations which sifma ici and of course the dtcc uh informed regulators there are no challenges or risks standing in the way of cutting down the window in US equities from T plus two to T plus one. So that should kick things off for moving, making a move to T plus one in about 2023, I think. But uh, what, do you, what do you guys think of that? I mean, obviously we've talked about kind of the reasons and, and benefits behind it, but uh, it seems like it's it's all go. Well, it's ambitious, isn't it? The, 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 the idea of, of moving quickly. I'm not sure. Um, there's a lot of groundwork that's been going on. I've, I've certainly been um, chatting to a lot of different firms on the topic and seeing how um, how prepared they are or how much they've looked at it. And quite a lot of them haven't still. Um, <laughs> you, think, you think like with all this press that people notice, but they don't um, because most people aren't, aren't sort of paying attention to this stuff. They're, they're focusing very much on business as usual stuff. 
um, and more worried about when people are going back into the office and that kind of thing um, and, and profitability for their clients rather than anything to do with infrastructure. Sad times, but people don't care about it that much. <laughs> um, in, in the wider market, people just don't notice uh, when it comes to post-trade. But what I found interesting, and, I, and this is something I'm going to listen to just because it will probably annoy me, is that there's, a, I think it's Rosenblatt are doing a, a webinar coming up and they've got sort of, a very balanced panel, including Vlad Tenev talking about two plus zeros. So I dread to think oh. what he's going to say, but all of them, all of the people on the panel are pro um, real time growth settlement. Uh, so uh, and that's the topic of the panel. So I'm, I'm waiting to hear if anyone will, how the, anyone addresses why we shouldn't be going to RTGS or like instant settlement, <laughs> but I doubt it. Um, I, I, you know, it's, it's almost like a manual, but the the post trade equivalent of, of uh, <laughs> missing out the whole argument. Sadly, brilliant. No diversity of thought there then at all. Exactly. <laughs> do, do you think this all this this move uh, by the associations, if if it didn't happen in what 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 what, what occurred in January with, with Robin Hood and all these meme stocks, do you think that this you know? this industry-wide call to two plus one would even happen? Um, I think it would have eventually happened through just all this this focus on, on efficiency and operational resilience at some point. I think gradually we always do end up shortening the settlement cycle. When we moved, we didn't have like a, a huge thing that happened to move us to two plus two, aside from a regulation coming in, I guess, in Europe. Um, and I think regulators would eventually turn to looking at it just, just through <coughs> dint of, you know, updating regs and, and thinking, well, this is probably an efficient thing to do. Um, but it's probably quicker than the market would have. The market would never have requested it, I don't think, yeah. to be perfectly honest, aside from some random from uh, a retail broker. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I honestly, without the, the Robin Hood affair in January or February, there's no way this is on the radar this year, at least. I mean, to the point, eventually we probably get there, but... You look at Europe, for example, and there is no real serious discussion about shortening the settlement cycle in Europe to match, to go to T plus one, to match the US. Now, will it eventually happen because it would be better for everybody to have aligned settlement cycles? Absolutely. But there's not the same driving force in Europe to push that decision. So I think without a little bit of misdirection there by Vlad, um, we never would have had this sort of big impetus to make it happen. Which is amazing, really, isn't it? No, honestly, like <laughs> it is a hundred percent unbelievable that you know, given what happened, what we know, what happened, what were the causes or the issues in January, February around GameStop and Robinhood, that somehow the takeaway from that was we need to move to T plus one as quickly as possible is honestly kind of mind-boggling. But you know, more power to the uh, to Robinhood and its PR team. Have we, have we got enough uh, updates, regulatory updates, to go round round the table again? Has anyone else got some more uh, areas that we haven't covered yet? I mean, Esmo, they, they put out a, a report, didn't they, or a consultation about um, DLT um, and, and, and how sort of CSDs in Europe are um, sort of integrating this and, uh, and exploring this. And either, does this... Do you think what Esmo have done here, do you think that lends itself to any future regulations around DLT? 
It really annoyed me, that consultation. Actually, I think I even tweeted about it, um, largely because they, it was called the fintech um, consultation around CSDs, or, you know, it was, it, was, it was sort of a fintech update, not a DLT update. And I think out of the however many pages it was, there was two, two pages that weren't anything to do with DLT. Um, and that was it. <laughs> Where, uh, you know, CSDs are doing a lot more than just looking at distributed ledger. And that mm. that part of it is actually quite slow, relatively speaking. I mean, I suppose the Swiss have gone, gone sort of gung-ho on it. But out, outside of six, I don't think there's been as much progress, um, particularly in Europe. So I'm not sure why it was so dominated by DLT, as opposed to things like AI or, you know, data services or even APIs or, you know, all of these different things that the, these... Uh, these different market infrastructures are working on that are equally important and, and actually asset managers and, and custodians even care a lot more about uh, to some degree. So, yeah, <laughs> that was that was what annoyed me about that particular <laughs> consultation. But certainly you do. I, I think every time you talk, ask a regulator about distributed ledger, um, they sort of say, well, we have to be technology agnostic. Um, I think that's the sort of the default setting, isn't it? Even Gary Gensler says that repeatedly. Um, during all of the um, the discussions he's had over recent months, and anyone at ESMA will always say it because it's it's something they they aren't allowed to propose um, a specific technology is better than another. But you know, the implication is that DLT is better, but uh, nobody's come out and said that from the regulatory standpoint, right? Yeah, I, I confess I didn't actually see that that report. When was that one out? Last um, month, I think. Yeah, yeah. that must yeah. be a holiday. <laughs> <laughs> well it was it was it came out just the week i think two days after this whole um all the responses to a consultation that the esma group or eu or ec had done about um what asset managers care about in terms of fintech and pretty much everyone on, from the asset manager side was talking about other things than dlt some of them were talking a little bit about dlt but they didn't really care as such so it was really weird to have read through all those sort of responses back and then have another thing coming from ESMA that was that didn't mention things that all of these asset managers had been talking about it seemed like a very disconnected sort of set of of, uh, of reports but go figure maybe they do, maybe they'll listen for the next one <laughs> <laughs> so the, I, I've just gone down the regulation section on, on global custodian look back uh, two months and there was a story in July <clears throat> about SFTR which we haven't spoken about in a long, long while. But this, this section made me laugh because it was a, a survey about how people are adapting to it. And uh, the survey from IHS Market and, and Pyram said that market participants are experiencing little or no challenges following the implementation of SFTR. And it also suggested that it could act as a blueprint for all future regulations. Can you believe that, that SFTR has been heralded that much for success? Or are we just kind of uh, blowing the trumpet of, of firms that actually were, were responsible for the reporting here? <laughs> it hasn't been it hasn't been challenged by a regulator yet wait wait a bit i mean i remember with mifid reporting we didn't get a, a sort of a, for mifid two i think oh no mifid one in fact three years later we got we got sort of trade report trade reporting and trade transaction reporting infractions so give it three years and see how smug everyone looks then <laughs> me. <laughs> well well wow. even looking deeper into the survey it says the results were in stark contrast to European, well, to Emir, where only, so 28% of respondents said they were satisfied with their uh, UTI pairing several years after implementation, compared to 87% for, for SFTR. 
Well, securities financing is is kind of a very backwater area. I, I, I struggle to believe that anyone would be confident in the data that they're reporting out of that because some of those systems are ancient. Jesus. Chewing yeah. <laughs> gum and string holding them together. Yeah, it was also a little weird. If I mean, SFTR does seem to have gone in without, you know, there weren't major issues when it, as it sort of phased in. But if there is success, it's because largely because of a beer, honestly, because that's what everyone built their, like all the providers built their solutions off of what they did for a year because that's what sftr was based on so it's kind of weird to say that the reporting regulation that was a derivative of another reporting regulation is the one that should be the way forward i don't know it's an odd and i don't think anyone in the world wants more transaction reporting so i don't know who's even asking for more of that um (laughs) (laughs) but we've got emir refit now though don't we we've got more changes incoming just to just to Liven things up a bit. Yes, we do actually. Uh, I kind of lost track of that. Mirror's actually one of those things that changes. Like it's constantly being tweaked now. It's actually very hard to keep track of um, where it is. And then you have the SEC actually is going to finalize some of theoretically until it got all into crypto. Was going to look at the final pieces of swap reporting for Dodd Frank as well. Though that seems to have fallen off the, fallen down the list a little bit recently. Only nearly, you know, how many years late? 15 yeah, years? I, mean, I don't know how long. How, how long have we been waiting for these? Good Lord. Yeah, it's a decade between friends, right? <laughs> Goodness. Brilliant. So uh, that's it from me on regulatory updates. Uh, anyone else before we wrap it up? No, I think that's the only thing I would say for, as we wrap up for the, the thing we'll be talking about in the coming months, I think it's, you know, Sadly, without Joe as he leaves us, but to the, the rest of us will be talking about um, the AFMD and usage delegation stuff is going to heat up again in the coming months. So that's something I think a lot of asset managers are keeping a close eye on. So that's just more something to think about for the future. Next episode, perhaps? Perhaps. Fingers crossed. So what do you want to do about the uh, big Joe-shaped hole in our lives? What do you think? Uh, guest guest appearances? Or uh, do we do we put out a job application for a, um, <laughs> a permanent replacement on the on the FemeRec podcast? What do you think? Regulator of the week? <laughs> I'm not sure. We could have some sort of reality TV show style contest, I think, is the best way to go forward. Kind of like how they did Jeopardy, right? In the US, where they had a bunch of, uh, bunch of hosts... And then we can figure out some sort of mechanism to have uh, the public vote on the best host. Sure. What about something like the voice style, where you know we we just we just hear uh, hear the voice. We don't actually know who it is. We just we just try them out, and then we'll be uh, less biased. We need sw- swiveling chairs for that, though. Sadly. Done. It's it's in the yeah. It's in the GC budget already. Don't worry. Swiv- swiveling chairs. <laughs> <laughs> and a f- uh, fully kitted podcast studio. So does does that mean we get Will I Am on as a guest judge as well? <laughs> yeah, I think actually he's he's very available. I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll be definitely tuning in then as a as a as a avid listener. Oh, I should hope so, Joe. I should hope so. And uh, and to play you out, we'll uh, we'll replay the. Point in the last episode where your doorbell rang with the delivery guy and uh, you decided to leave <laughs> and go and answer it. <laughs> Fantastic. So for now, uh, as always, thanks, Sean, Virginie, and one last time, Joe, for your thoughts today. And to everyone else for listening, don't forget to leave feedback or, uh, yeah, get in touch if you want to be on the show. But uh, 
for now. Until next time. Thank you. You were listening to There's Always a Fimreg Angle podcast from Global Custodian. Stream on Google and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or catch up wherever you get your podcasts from. <laughs>